is expecting you. Welcome back to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, Mako's Logbook Edition, the Legend of Korra podcast where we know the future. Today, I will be discussing Book 1, Episode 5, The Spirit of Competition. That's right, I am on my own today. So, as usual when I'm on my own, this will be a little bit on the shorter side, but do have some things that I want to talk about here on Episode 5. So as we've sort of talked about throughout the beginning now of, of Book 1, episodes seem to jockey between pro-bending episodes and equalist episodes. So last week, when looking at the Tarlock focus of the task force and eventually the challenge of Amon, a very much equalist focus episode, this week we have the spirit of competition and entirely pro-bending focused episode. My initial thoughts on this episode are, I would say this is a great example of an episode that has changed very dramatically in my estimation uh, from when I first um, saw this show. And, you know, I, I've talked about this quite a bit throughout the history of, of this podcast, that the reason that this whole thing started, the, the big one of the big questions that I wanted to answer was how different can a show be the second or maybe third time through watching it? Um, how much can your opinion change on things like this? And while, of course, it was a great pleasure to get to go through The Last Airbender, a show that I adore pretty much more than anything else, the answer, there was really no question in that case with, with Last Airbender because The Last Airbender was good the first time I watched it. It's good the 14th time I watched it. It's an incredible show. It starts out great. It ends great. Everything's great. Korra is just not like that. Many people early on in Korra had real problems with it, myself included. I really struggled. And this is a great example of an episode that I really did not like the first time I saw it, and maybe even the second time I saw it. It's entirely focused on pro-bending, which, you know, is fine, but not a big plot-centric thing. It's very much a teen romance episode with, with some really cringeworthy moments and, and some characters being just pretty insufferable. And that's not really all that enjoyable it's it's why these people these people just you're just constantly hitting yourself over the head with like these people are really awful and 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 being really bad to each other from a from a relationship perspective and and, and mako especially is terrible cora is is pretty bad bolin i actually think comes off pretty well in this episode but overall like it's just like so you know, soap opera teen drama stuff that doesn't feel like the kind of thing that should be in this story. And for a long time, I, I, I thought that, but I have completely changed my tune on this episode. Um, first and foremost, I have changed my tune on pro-bending. I really just, as I've said many times, like pro-bending. It's just cool. It's a fun new thing to be introduced into this world that you have bending this this incredibly interesting intricate martial art um that involves the, the telekinesis of, of of the elements and you know what the earth rumble six was really cool getting to see sort of wrestling you know underground wrestling as um 
with earthbending. And here, getting to see the idea that, you know, we have this this sport that was created. And, you know, again, you think about where we are in time. You get into the 20s and sports have become a very important part of the landscape of uh, of the world. There, you know, whether it's soccer in Europe, baseball really taking off in in the United States, this became a really important cultural control force. And the fact is, it's there's there's nothing at all surprising that some kind of you know thing can kind of combining boxing with bending would would exist. And I think it's just really well conceived as as a sport. You know, thinking of you have these three elements, you have one person of each. They're sort of all you know trying to push push each other through you know through these zones. It just it it really works. And and I think that. You know, pro bending could absolutely be the kind of thing that's not particularly well thought out. That's not particularly, you know, it just kind of comes off as, oh yeah, it's it's bending and it's a sport. But like, no, like there's pretty clear rules about the way this, the way the thing works. There's fouls that that come up with, you know, with you know, Cora has a, a tripping foul or a hosing foul and has to take back, you know, walk back a square. Um, you know, there, there's there's a definite strategy going on about, oh, you know, are we just trying to survive this one round because you know we know we're going to lose, but we don't want to get fully KO'd and uh, you know risk losing the entire match. That's like it's there's a lot more going on with pro bending than I think might have first met the eye. And for kind of being the, I think this is probably the the, the most pro bending focused episode. This and and, and eventually the the, the finals, uh, but even the finals ends up you know focusing in on a lot of the equalists kind of showing up. So this kind of being the you know the really an episode that's that's about multiple pro bending matches um, and you know the the team dealing with. Um, you know, team chemistry, and, like, we get to see that, like, team chemistry really matters, which, yeah, in sports, team chemistry is a really big deal. Um, I think it's great. On the other hand, um, and I think I, I've touched on this a little bit, but I want to have, you know, we talk about our Mark Big disclaimer of the episode, and I think this is going to be my one for this. The romance in this episode is bad, but I've completely changed my opinion on how it makes me feel about the show as, you know what? It's bad on purpose. And again, I said this a lot last week with, with Mako and Asami, the, the meeting of Mako and Asami, and that was certainly true then. But the stuff here with Korra and Mako and then Korra with Bolin a little bit as well, it all just feels off. And you know what? Yeah, it's because it was never going to work out. It's because there was no way Mako and Korra were going to be together. And look. I understand that this is this is hindsight 2020. I understand that um, the Legend of Korra was originally written to be a, a single episode or a single season uh, spinoff, and Mako and Korra were Endgame at this point. That they were planning on these two characters being together, but I think that that misses several important points and kind of falls into a very dangerous trap that stories about young people fall into and this is not something that's this is not just a problem with the legend of Korra. this is this is a problem in pretty much all fandoms that that deal with teen you know teen romance even with the idea that mako and Korra were endgame they were endgame for this particular book this sort of six month span of of time not you know maybe not even all that even if you take 
even if book one is the is the end of the show, there's nothing about that that says Mako and Korra are together for the rest of their lives. It just says that they are, you know, dating on some level, which is not as big a you know commitment as as it might seem. I mean, I understand that there is something to writing a story, and and when you write a story, the, the ending sort of on some level matters, but. At the end of the day, Mako and Korra don't know that. Mako and Korra don't know that, that, that the end of their life, so to speak, is the end of, of book one. That was, you know, how it was initially written. And the fact is, like, it's not, like, that's, that even in itself is not a problem. Two, we here at Thoughts Want Wu are taking a holistic approach. And even if the story was not written intending to do this, you know what? It was written. And the ending happens. Korra and Asami end up end up together, and and it's clear by you know book three that that Mako and Korra were just were a bad fit. So for them to be so just bad with each other here, I mean, I, I've I've said many times uh, in even in my personal life, to be honest, that a red flag of relationships is if it's really difficult for the two of you to get together at first. That's a bad sign doesn't mean it's never going to happen it doesn't mean it's impossible to make a relationship like that work but it's never a great sign if you two are maybe like each other but they like somebody else or they're dating someone else and you're not sure how to make it work that that's a that's difficult relationships should sometimes just happen and to see this one where where Mako is completely confused, he doesn't know what to do. He likes clearly likes Korra, but he also, you know, likes Asami and also likes what dating Asami has brought to his, you know, to their to their prospects in this in this tournament. And that's not even that even isn't even a criticism of Mako. Like that's a reasonable thing to to understand to feel some degree of you know uh, feel that that Asami is you know deserves you know him to to give it his all so to speak in in a relationship. And but at the end of the day, like he just should be upfront with Cora and say, "Look, this is this is how I feel. This is the case." And Cora should be respectful of the fact that Mako is dating somebody else. There's really no reason that she should be she should be doing this. Um, and then you add in the fact that she went on a date with Bolin, despite you know despite the fact that she might have said, "Look, this is just a thing I'm doing with my friend," and that's fine. I I want more um, male female friendships. You know, they, they both handle this terribly. And here's the thing, as I, as I said, and I'm just going to keep saying it, that's okay. That's not a problem for the show. The fact that Korra and Mako handle the, this relationship awfully is not evidence that the show is bad. It's evidence that the relationship is bad. And look, we see it throughout book two. And then moving forward, that this was just, this was never going to work. And this is just one little bit of evidence for that so with that out of the way let's let's get into our our episode discussion and i sort of touched on a lot and look as i said this is definitely a pro bending focused episode such that you know there's not not really too much not as much to say sort of line by line but we'll you know go through it as as we do just for you know just for how we go um you know i i will say as a as the resident Korasami shipper that I am, and, and and the one who has spent as much time analyzing it, there are a lot of interesting little things here and there um, from that perspective that I will get into. Um, you know, I do I do really like the moments where you see Korra sort of looking 
you know, longingly or jealous of the fact that 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 Asami is is with Mako, and then you sort of under you know later in life would realize that there would be jealousy there, but the jealousy is the other way. He, she she should be she's jealous of that Mako got to spend this time with Asami. I I find really interesting, and I, I it's just kind of an entertaining little note there. Um, and on that note, I do, you know, the first words out of her, you know, the first thing, way she describes Asami is that prissy, beautiful, elegant, rich girl. Um, and, you know, I, I've always, always liked that line because it, it is one of those things that, like, it's not as, like, it, it, I understand it's meant to sort of be, yeah, you know, maybe not catty, but, it, you know, it's meant to be her, you know, putting herself down on some level and, also being feeling as though um you know she she's left out from from mako you know again it's 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 surprising it's a surprisingly nice way to to describe this romantic rival who again throughout this this series cora is not or throughout this book for instance cora does not treat particularly well there is something to the fact that like yeah she does understand immediately that she is beautiful and elegant um you know i again i i in her mind i'm sure she is she sees that and is is using it as internally as saying, oh well, Mako is is dating that you know this elegant rich girl, and I'm you know I'm just you know the avatar, I'm just from the Southern Water Tribe, etc. But I think that you know looking back, it's 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 one of those things where where emotions do get um do get merged, and I, you know I think that she can you know she does immediately sort of she can immediately see what the appeal of Asami is, and I think that that's you know. That that does is part of this as we as we move forward. Um, the other big thing about about this core stuff and why core is so bad and, and you know why you know I have a tremendous amount of sympathy and I, I really love Korra as a character despite how bad she is in this and while Mako I find just incredibly annoying and, and, and really can't stand. We see here with um, you know with Korra you know little conversation with with Jinora and Iki like. She's 17 years old and she's taking romantic advice, so to speak, from from children. I mean, not just like younger people, but literal children who are telling her unbelievably ridiculous things. And, you know, on one end, it's, you know, obviously supposed to be funny and this kind of ridiculous thing. But it's also, I think, meant to the fact that, like, Cora doesn't have someone her own age to, to talk to. Like, her friends at this point are Mako and Boleyn. Obviously, she's not having this conversation with them. And, like, it's kind of... A, it's a real problem that she doesn't have the kind of support structure to where the people who are kind of talking to her about what she should do are children and then you know Pema who is significantly older who's in a, you know in a completely different phase of their life and you know yeah it ends up being really really bad advice um and you know again I think it, it just it makes a lot of sense to me why Cora is so so stunted emotionally when you realize that like, she just hasn't spent amount spent much time with people her own age. She hasn't really been, quote unquote, socialized properly, and I think that that's that ends up being a really big deal and a really big part of her character. And when we talk about Cora's immaturity as being a major theme throughout this story, this is another just another example of this where she's just she's emotionally immature. She does not understand what it means to be in a relationship and granted seven all 17 year olds are pretty emotionally immature but core is stunted even even beyond that um we get into the first uh playoff match um and again i just i just continue to say how much i like pro bending i i like that there sort of does feel like 
oh, this is the start of the playoffs. There's a bit of, you know, quote unquote, playoff atmosphere and, and that kind of thing. And that stuff, you know, again, as a, as a as a massive sports fan that I am, I always like it when, when a show can understand that like that stuff, that does matter. Like the, the you know, how the fans are going to perceive a playoff match versus a, a playing game, so to speak, is going to be, is going to be different. Um, and you really do see like that first match, they're very in sync. Everything's looking good and everything's great. Um, you know, I want to say, you know, kind of, we talked a little bit, a lot about Mako and Korra, but I want to talk about Bolin and Korra. And it's, it's sort of interesting looking back on the time of book one and how there was sort of, there was the Makora fandom and there was the Bora fandom. And, you know, many people ended up leaning on Bolin and it's like, well, Bolin is actually like really nice to Korra. And, and, and I think that you do have to give Ma- Bolin some credit for like, you know, yeah, he, he does continue to quote unquote pursue her, even though she sort of seems like she's um, rebuffing him. But at the end of the day, like he is very nice to her. Like he takes her on a really, you know, what is clearly a really nice evening, like really thinks through what she might like. And, you know, definitely like you really see throughout this, that his conflict is much more with Mako um, towards Korra rather than, you know, blaming Korra for anything. And, you know, so with that said, I can, you know, I'm a little bit more okay with the Bolin stuff. However, I really wish this wasn't here for the basic fact that, like, Bolin and Korra in book one have a really nice friendship. They have a really nice dynamic between two friends. And I just wish it could have been that. I wish that we didn't have to have um, this added thing of Bolin is also you know, romantically interested in her and dealing with this love triangle between Mako and Mako Korra Bolin, you know, and then the other one with Mako Asami and, and, and Korra, you know, again, I just, I, it would be, it would be really nice if this, we could just like this for what it is and just say, wow, Bolin and Korra are really good friends and that's great. And, you know, again, we just kind of don't, it's, it is just one of those things that's not there. And, I, I just wish it was. I wish that we didn't have to like think through like, all right, yeah, sorry, Bolin. Like, all right, Bolin, take a hint. This isn't going to happen. It would just be nice if like, let Bolin be the nice guy, the nice friend that he is, as opposed to, to, to everything else. Um, then we get the, uh, we get our big uh, kiss scene. Uh, Bolin, or Cora decides to, uh, confess her love to Mako and, and, and kiss kiss Mako and unfortunately in front of Bolin and you know like I said it, it, you know it, this is bad it's just don't don't do that Cora that was a bad move um but there's just not really again this is just who she is and, and she she's taking the one bit of advice that she's got Pema told her you gotta gotta confess your feelings you gotta make the move and she sees an opportunity and you know she tries and you know, I think again for for someone like Cora who probably has you know has succeeded at pretty much everything that they've had in life, you know, for this to be something, yeah, she makes her move and doesn't go well. It just it, it's a tough it, it's a tough look. But as I said, this is just this is just as much evidence as you if you need evidence as to why Macora was never going to be a viable relationship. Here you go. Here's everything you need. And sure, we'll get plenty more of it throughout this book and plenty more of it in book two. But right here is kind of the, you know, the first explicit sort of over-the-top overt romance between these two people. It's just not how you do things. Not good. As for the final 
pro-bending match where they are once again out of sync and Mako and Bolin are just sad and don't feel like they have a chance. Um, you know, it's, you wish, you know, come on guys, like, you know, get it together. This is important. You're, you know, you're athlete, pro athletes. Like you gotta, gotta take, leave that, leave that stuff at home. Um, but you know, it, it is a nice reminder, you know, with, with these pro bending episodes, you know, it's, it's this weird, um, sort of issue where you have to, these things need to be competitive. They need to be interesting. They need to be drama, but you also have to remember that Cora is the avatar and she is an incredibly skilled bender and, and bending prowess is, is a fundamental part of who she is. And to see it here that, you know, in this match that, you know, isn't going well, Cora can just turn things around and just go forward. And is, you know, is able to, you know, win, you know, win with this hat trick, uh, you know, getting, you know, all three of them off very quickly, you know, without any <clears throat> help from her team, that's that, you know, it's, it's a nice reminder that like Cora is really skilled. And despite the fact that she is very new at this, you know, this is not something she's been doing her whole life. Despite that, she comes out roaring and is, you know, is able to save their team. And, you know, she's, she's a very impressive bender and who, also feels that way but asami who you know right you know right here sees you know shows up and sort of is is, is clearly very taken with cora and is, is feels you know compliments her and you know i'll say this here like yes i understand that that cora you know we we hear later that asami is isn't entirely aware that that cora is in love with mako but still like this is your new boyfriend's teammate who is the avatar, who is, you know, attractive. And, you know, even here, there's no, there is no weirdness from Asami at all. Even if she doesn't know exactly what's going on between all of them, like you still, there is a world where Asami is just immediately defensive towards Korra and it's, it's just not there. And this is where I'll, I'll you know, we, we talked a little about this last week with the fact that, Asami was initially slated to be a villain. It was initially designed for, for Asami to be a sleeper agent on behalf of her father and equalist to sort of get close to, to the Avatar and date the Avatar's teammate. And I think this is another one of those sort of weird little remnants where I think if there was, if that was never a thought, if Asami was always going to be a part of the gang, you can see a more, it, it might, you can see a world where there lean a little bit heavier in on Asami being maybe not overly thrilled about Mako's female friend, the Avatar. But instead, because of the fact that initially the idea is, well, Asami's putting on airs here, she's trying to get close to Korra, this it this happens. Korra, you know, she you know, she's just taken with Korra. She wants to be Korra's friend. She's complimentary of her. Even though they eventually remove the fact that 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 she was um was a villain, those that little remnant there changes their dynamic, which eventually I think is is the is a big part of what pushes forward into Korasami, where you have this character who there's just these little remnants where you're kind of going, why is she trying so hard to be Korra's friend? What's going on here? Is it nefarious? No, it's not nefarious. Okay, if it's not nefarious, then it's got to be something else. And what is that something else? But that something else is romantic and you know like i said these are just these little little things that 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 play in and again like i am not i'm not trying to say that like oh look 
Korra and Asami are in love right now. Like, no, they, they clearly don't recognize that in, in each other. But these are the little things that add up to lay the foundation so that once we get into book three, once we get into a point where Asami and Korra are sort of left alone and, and forced to work, you know, are, and are pushed, you know, pushed together, the groundwork is there to understand how a connection could start and then get deeper and deeper and deeper. So yeah, I is going to wrap up a, a relatively short episode. I mean, I, I actually don't think we would have had that much more to say, even if even if my panelists were here. Um, you know, again, this was basically just a pro-bending episode with a bunch of teen romance. You know, I, I, there's not that much to say about you know any one part of that. That the romance, it's bad. But as I said, I I think that that's the point. It's supposed to be bad because these people are, or rather, let me say that not that this is that they're supposed to be bad, but it's realistic. Sometimes teen romance is cringy. If you were in high school, not every romance was, you know, was everyone being mature and normal. Plenty of it was pretty bad. And I think that that reflects these people with, you know, incredible emotional immaturity. So, you know, I, you know, I think wrapping all this up, I think that, you know, this is still a really entertaining episode. I, I do enjoy it quite a bit. Um, you know, weirdly enough, because of, you know, I've kind of been having to do my, well, Oman stinks, so we have to remove a point or two for Oman. Um, you know, we don't have to do that this week. This is just about pro-bending. I like pro-bending, and I think the romance serves the purpose that it has to. So, you know, despite, you know, really not liking this episode when I first saw it, um, really having come around, and I'm going to give this an 8.1 out of 10. You know, I, I think it's, there. like I said, there, there, there are certainly some moments that are sort of a little like, Ugh, but... This is this is what it is, and and I think the only the only real criticism I would have is is the bowl that the fact that we just don't need we didn't need two we didn't need one life triangle for God's sakes, but we definitely don't need two, and the bowling stuff just not it's just unnecessary here, um and and Mars what I think could have been a really good character moment for for Bolin himself. So thank you guys uh, for listening. I should be back um, next week and we should have some panelists on as we move into the finals of pro the pro bending tournament, as well as further into the Equus. And look, done with episode five. We are steaming ahead into the, you know, the, almost to the halfway point of book one. So we're, uh, we'll be, uh, we'll be moving forward quite fast. So check it, check out that and we'll be back soon. Thank you guys.